0: Boo! Uh.
1: You will learn that name. You will remember it.
0: And now... The stud is here. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. I'm David Summers, and we're hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time. We get wall-to-wall, treetop-tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, it was kind of sad to hear about Gordon Lightfoot.
1: Yeah, it was, man. Were I you liked a, him, too, huh? He were, was, yeah. He had some great music.
0: He had some yeah. really good music. Yeah, he had Sundown. There were several others. and Now, now, one that you don't play at a party, of course, was the record, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. Uh, why, yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah, doesn't get a party going. Uh, but it was and that was a, one of the longer songs on the radio way back when back in the day like 5 minutes and 45 seconds. So if you needed a restroom break, that's that's the one you plugged in.
1: <laughs> So yeah. You being in that business, my man, I guess, you know, you <laughs> probably took advantage of that song, Yeah, I mean. well,
0: and, and back then on a little Top 40 radio station an uh, AM like I was on, they wouldn't let us play uh Freebird or Stairway to Heaven. So, all right, break out the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I'll be back. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so, all right, bro. So doing good down there? How's the weather, man, down there? Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's South, beautiful. Uh, South Alabama.
0: Yeah, we're good. We're still springtime, but I was watching the weather last night, and they said maybe in the next couple of weeks we're going to start feeling like South Alabama all over again. So what about what about the Great Smoky Mountains?
1: Oh, man, look at got a beautiful day today, but it's pretty cool. It's still cool. You know, but, but we got a good one today, Dave. I think this is going to be really sweet for fans out there. Uh, so
0: I'm looking forward to this one. Hey, by the way, congratulations! It happened again. You set another Studcast record for downloads. The most people ever worldwide listened to your last Studcast. I absolutely love the title of this one. Episode number two ninety seven. The title, the good, the bad. And the ugly. So I can't wait to hear about this one, Stud. What you got? Oh, man.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a pretty simple one, man. I mean, obviously the good at this point is uh, what's happening in southeastern Gulf Coast. And the bad is up there north in Knoxville. And, uh, and the ugly is going to come on the end of this, stud cast, I guarantee you that. <laughs> so, uh, so this one, man, is Cranwell history. Uh, it's got some great stories uh, as well on this point. We're gonna. I'm going to tell one in particular that uh, uh, some people may have heard, uh, but uh, it's always a good one. And uh, I hope everybody's saddled up because I'm ready to go, man. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the best Ted Cash yet.
0: Oh, that's cool. So you, you got me all fired up already. I love the Clint Eastwood movie and saw it several times. So you got the title from that, but he experienced good, bad, and ugly in the movie. You were experiencing In real life, good, bad, and ugly. Obviously, we're going to start today with the good, I think, occurring in your life in May of 1979. So turn old Latin and loose.
1: Okay, I'll do it, my man. Uh, You know, the good was certainly happening, man, in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Uh, After that massive sea of humanity crowd and the Dothan Farm Center, man, on May the 4th, 1979, uh, you know, They were all there to see that first encounter ever between Andre, the Giant, and the Hulk. And uh, that one, at this point, when that match occurred, it didn't have any buildup to promote it, you know? So uh, now Andre stayed over. He's got two more days after that match, and in this stud cast, we're going to take that to the next level, man. Uh, So Andre was there, uh, like I said, for three days, and uh, and, uh, that was a... That was what gave us a day We'd have him live on TV. So after just meeting the Hulk the afternoon before their first match, Andre was shocked, man, with the response and the size of the crowd that night. And he had nothing but good things to say about the Hulk. He was sold on the fact that we had found for him the opponent of his future. You know, someone wow. big enough for Andre to have a legitimate match with. So wow. uh, no wonder he was all in when Louie and I, we, we went and suggested to him, uh, Saturday morning, TV day, mm-hmm. uh, that we do a little arm wrestling contest that day on the TV hmm. and, uh, he was all in.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Okay. And, and you're talking about the first meeting of those two that took place in Dothan, Alabama, right?
1: That's correct. Wow, First time they ever
0: wrestled. All right. So I know you're going to be taking us on a deep dive into this angle. But I have to let fans know you can see this TV. You can see this, this arm wrestling contest that you're going to be referring to exactly as it happened on Saturday, May 5th. 1979, I swear, I think I was watching it that day. I can't believe that I could remember that uh, that far back because I'm really getting old. Your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel is the place to go. It has the entire event on it. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. If you want to see it, you can go to your YouTube channel, find Short Ride with the Stud number three to see the actual wrestling history right there.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to me, Dave, uh, is the fact that at the same time these great things were happening in the Gulf Coast Territory in 1979, the Knoxville Territory was headed in the opposite direction, man, headed for disaster. And I had no idea that was coming.
0: Yeah, I got a feeling that's what the word bad is going to be ta- referring to in, in a bit on this show. All right. So that's what makes to me. That's what makes Southeastern history so unique and fascinating. Records were being broken in the Gulf Coast while mutiny was being pla- planned and plotted in Tennessee. So, how is this ride today going to set up for us, Stud? Do I, do, by the way, do I need to pack an extra sandwich in the saddlebag?
1: <laughs> you better load them up, man. This is going to be a good one. So, you know, we're going to start with the good, obviously, and that was uh, you know occurring in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory, and we're going to focus on the TV. Uh, that had this arm wrestling angle on it. And then we'll talk about the card in Pensacola, Florida, the next day following the TV on May the 6th, 1979, uh, where Andre is going to wrestle the Hulk again in Pensacola, Florida. So, uh, you know, and uh, these people are going to have the opportunity to see the arm wrestling thing. So, uh, you know, uh, it was Andre's uh, last night, uh, you know, in the territory on that historic day trip, uh, headlined uh, with the second Hulk and Andre Southeastern match. And uh, then we'll talk about the results of this Pensacola card, uh, the record attendance that accompanied that one, just like the one in Dothan, man, uh, set the building record. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm going to, as promised, uh, also in this one, uh, I'm going to describe phase two of our Hulk plan that Louis and I had for his development for the future. We're going to introduce a new heel. Uh, with the arrival of Oxbaker, and we're going to open the door to the Hulk turning babyface. Then we're going to ride north into Tennessee, obviously for the bad. Uh, And and, uh, that is literally what was happening in southeastern Knoxville. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus on the Knoxville car to Friday, May the 11th, 1979. Uh, We'll break that car down in the same manner as we've been doing in the last couple of studcasts. So, that we can kind of expose what Bob Roop was doing with his booking that made absolutely no sense. And it seemed to be that he was intentionally ruining the territory. Mm. So, we're going to cover the TV, Southeastern Knoxville TV show that promoted the May 11th card, the results of that card, and the attendance.
0: All right. So, where is the ugly part of this studcast, Ron? It's not a reference to me, is it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> eh, well,. I'm not going to answer that.
0: Thanks. Okay, so, good.
1: <laughs> so it's actually going to come last, man. Uh, you know, I got a true story from a match I witnessed in 1971 between a real young Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. They both started about the same time down in Florida. And uh, this match ended with something really ugly, you know, so that's why I left this for the end. And I'm also going to reveal a conversation that Bob Roop. Uh, asked me for when he visited me in my Knoxville home 44 years ago, uh, almost the exact same week in May of 1979. Mm. And uh, it, and it was an even more ugly. <laughs> I mean, he delivered me the bigger, biggest lie of all uh, since I had known him about a problem he and the entire crew was having. Wow. So we're going to have a couple of uh, ugly events on the end of this one. And if we got a chance, uh, you know, after that, if we have any time left, more we'll answer another learning tree question.
0: All right, cool deal. All right, so this one really sounds like it, it it's maybe even better than last week's record studcast if that's possible. Can't wait to hear about that Bob Roop visit and the Slater and Orton story. That's kind of intriguing too. V- uh, very much so. All right, so let's start riding into the good, the bad and the ugly of this studcast with Southeastern Gulf Coast. Pensacola card in its municipal auditorium, Sunday, May 6, 1979.
1: Well, it opened up with uh, Terry Latham against Armand Hussein. Uh, Terry's partner, Ricky Fields, uh, was in a single match as well. He took on Eddie Sullivan, who was managed by Billy Spears. Uh, Roy Lee Welch, uh, my cousin, was against the Gladiator, managed by Billy Spears. There was a Southeastern tag title match. The Samoans, managed by Billy Spears, were defending against, instead of Fields and Latham like they had been most of the time, against Ron Slinker and Herb Calvert. Uh, Then there was a Southeastern championship match on that card. Dr. D, David Schultz, was defending against me instead of Slinker, Mm. where he'd been wrestling most of the time. The main event was Andre the Giant versus the Hulk who was managed by Billy Spears.
0: That is a tremendous card, no doubt. So especially considering Pensacola was only a secondary city to Mobile in that TV market. Yeah, I agree.
1: You know, I mean, uh, it was a secondary city to Mobile. Mobile had a bigger building, had a bigger population. Normally, Mobile would have gotten that main event, but Andre wasn't available on the Mobile dates in the middle of the week. We only had him for three days. So because of the strength of the Pensacola card, Mobile's card had to be enhanced a little bit. And uh, what we did is uh, we put the former champions on the Mobile card uh, in a championship match with the uh, Samoans. That would be Fields and Latham against them for the tag championship. Not only that, but in uh, in Mobile's slinker, uh, you know, uh, was going to be up against David Schultz. And not just the Southeastern championship match, but the winner of that match was going to leave Southeast. And then uh, and on that same card in Mobile, I'm going to wrestle the Hulk in a Texas death match.
0: Wow. All right. It's amazing how switching those combinations made such a difference. So what was on the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV Saturday, May 5th, 1979, other than Andre being on the show?
1: Well, man, uh, that's a big mouthful there. You know, if you got Andre, that's probably enough. It was loaded. And I mean, the studio was absolutely packed because Charlie the week before said Andre's going to be on live with us next week. Well, that studio, we couldn't get them all in. I mean, no telling how many people had to go home because there was no way to get them into the studio. And, uh, and the show opened up with a with a pop from the studio audience because Charlie opened the show inviting Andre to come to the set right off the bat. And it got even better when Andre and Charlie, they watched the end of that tremendous match from the night before with the Hulk and Andre, 6,000 fans in that uh, uh, farm center, uh, you know, building only built for 5,000. And at the end of that mm-hmm. video, Billy Spears brought this Hulk out to the set interrupted as usual, Billy Spears style. And he challenged Andre to an arm wrestling contest with his Sterling, the Hulk golden. He loved to call the Hulk Sterling. And I don't think, (laughs) I don't think Terry liked it at all. So, you know, Andre, obviously he accepted the challenge. And when he did, the studio exploded, man, they didn't expect to see this on TV. Wow. And so the contest was set for the last match of the show. And, uh, Everybody was uh, had something to look forward to right off the bat. All
0: right, so this was going to happen on live TV in the first week of May 1979, TV ratings period. That's a pretty, I don't know if you knew about the ratings thing, Ron, but it sounds oh, like you buddy. did. I, no, I absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> what a way to start your rating month. Who wrestled in the first TV match?
1: Ron Slinker was uh, in the upcoming Southeastern Championship match with David Schultz. Uh, and that was in Montgomery. It was in, uh, but it was in, uh, and, uh, mobile. And, uh, so, you know, and it was a loser leave Southeastern and Slinker got himself a win. And during this match, Schultz went out to the set with less and uh, I mean, with Charlie and made some, made his comments, you know, uh, and you know, the, David was always pretty good on the mic, man. Uh, so by the time he left, people were ready for him to be gone. Uh, Fields and Latham, they were in the next match. Uh, they were prepared for their second chance to win the tag belt from uh, Billy Spears Samoans. Uh, they were doing the same thing. They were wrestling them in Mobile and Montgomery. Fields and Latham, man, uh, got themselves a very good win. Uh, Billy Spears had another surprise, man, for the personality profile. He was there again. Mom had brought the profile again. So he introduced his newest addition to the family, Ox Baker and Charlie, uh, couldn't hardly control Spears, man. Uh, Billy was so excited about this huge, extremely scary looking six foot, six inch, 330 pound Ox Baker who was standing behind him while he's, uh, while he's, uh, touting his new man. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, that, uh, he knew Harley was coming to Southeastern in two weeks to defend his NWA World Title, and he said now he was ready for Harley. He had two big men; both of them were able to beat the NWA World Champion, and they were going to get a shot at him. you know. And uh, and he showed then a frightening video of Oxman doing the damage Ox was famous for, and he bragged about his new men probably killing at least two wrestlers with the most dangerous move in wrestling, Ox Arch Punch.
0: Wow. Okay, so I I got to admit, this, the, uh, the Hulk was very intimidating looking. But Ox Baker, he was a scary looking man. He was one of the meanest looking wrestlers I think I ever saw. So did you ever see him in the movie with Kurt Russell? It was called Escape from New York. I don't remember what year that was, but I, I think I saw that at the drive-in. It's it's that far back. But I remember the fans in the studio that day gasping in unison as Spears was introducing Ox, especially when the cameras got a close-up of his face. That bushy Fu Manchu mustache and eyebrows penetrating stare on his face and his huge taped fist pounding it into his hand as Spears, of course, rambled on. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think
1: almost everybody got that same feeling uh-huh. about Ox Taker, man. I wrestled him many times and I never got used to it. Uh, one of those wrestlers that always mentioned when Ox Heart Punch came up was Ray Gunkel. And uh, he was my father's tag partner and his business partner in the Georgia Territory in the 1960s and early 70s. And Ray was hit with that punch in Savannah, Georgia in 1972. He died in the dressing room. Wow. Nope. No one ever proved it was due to the punch, but nobody ever proved it wasn't either. Huh.
0: Okay, so I never knew that story. So, what Billy Spears said about Ox Baker having killed two men with his heart, heart punch, that you mean that really might be true?
1: <laughs> well, there was no proof, man, uh, one way or the other. You know, but he he did hit both of them with that punch. God. And, uh, and, uh, and, and his the thing is, man, he's going to hit me with it. Two stud casts from now.
0: Wow. I hope you're kidding about that, Ron. I could easily spend the rest of this stud cast just on that story alone. That's pretty amazing.
1: Well, we can't do that Dave, because we got a lot of good stuff here today, man. So we're going to, we're going to keep on, uh, pushing lightning ahead, man, the, so the third TV match on that Saturday, May the 5th, 1979, was royally Welch. Mm-hmm. And he was getting a much-deserved TV win. He'd been involved for weeks with Billy Spears' gladiator, Dick Steinborn. And no one except the wrestlers knew it, but Dick Steinborn and the gladiator were the same person. And in fact, Dickie Steinborn mm-hmm. was an extremely unique talent. And when he wasn't wearing his mask, he sometimes... Uh, did commentary with Charlie on the TV show.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I tell you what, you're full of surprises today, stud. I watch a lot of TV shows. I don't. I'm not sure that I never, I, I ever knew that.
1: Well, that's because Spears managed him, man. And Steinborn was wearing the gladiator mask, right? So Spears did all the talking for him. So people didn't know, you know, what uh, Dickie Steinborn looked like, or what the gladiator actually looked like. So the TV show, the one we're talking about today. Was a perfect example of Steinborn being at the set with Charlie. So when it came time, the last match on the on the TV show for the arm wrestling contest between uh, Hulk and Andre, a uh, table was brought into the ring, two chairs uh, was was brought in the ring, and uh, and the regular referee uh, Larry Brock uh, set the chairs up and laid a little table up, and uh, and it wasn't a professional arm wrestling table because no one was prepared for the arm, arm wrestling challenge. So uh, Andre and Hulk they got in the ring. Uh, Billy Spears was uh, standing uh, on the camera side of the ring, and uh, Andre and Hulk sat down, and they put their arms on the table, and Dick Steinborn, sitting there with Charlie Platt, well, somebody needs to kind of handle this thing. So Steinborn jumped up in the ring, set up the contest. Hmm. He connected their hands. He kind of set the rules a little bit. He started the contest, and then he went back to the set, jumped out of the ring. The contest started, and it went back and forth, man, and, and it, it appeared the Hulk was just as strong as Andre, until Andre finally started getting control, and the Hulk stretched out his body, kind of away from the table, trying to get his some, as much leverage as he could to, to just hang in there to keep from getting beat, and the studio was going crazy, man, the spear screamed for the Hulk to try harder, he kept pushing for him to try harder, man, so when this, When uh, Spears could see that the Hulk wasn't going to win, that he was going to actually lose, then Spears jumped up in the ring. Uh, Andre, sitting there watched him coming through the ropes, so he got up and he kind of went after him. He backed him off in the corner and the Hulk picked up the table that they had been doing the arm wrestling contest with Mm -hmm. behind Andre's back. And as Andre uh, chased Spears out of the ring, when he turned around to find where the Hulk was, Uh, Hulk hit him in the forehead with that table. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Hulk dropped the table and Andre went down from being, taking that shot with the big table. And then he started stomping Andre in the back of the head. Andre laid down there, face face down on the mat. And uh, so Andre struggled. He finally staggered to his feet and he was bleeding. Hulk started hitting him in the face. Mm. It was the only time I ever saw Andre bleed. In all the years that I knew Andre, and Andre began to fight back. Uh, Hulk jumped out of the ring on the floor next to Spears, but Billy sent him back in the ring to continue. Man, to go get him again! Wow. So Hulk went back after Andre even harder the second time he came in, and uh, and even hit Andre uh, in the head with uh, several times, and then uh, and uh, you know they even bit him. Bit him on the wow. forehead. It was like, geez, the hook uh, turned. He pretty darn, pretty darn, pretty darn bitches. <laughs> and uh, Andre started fighting back, and the uh, hook wouldn't be denied. And they, and he stood out ground to ground with Andre. Man, uh, exchanged a couple of punches, and
0: Andre finally forced him out of the ring. Wow, it was the first time, as I recall, ever seeing anyone hurt Andre or even remotely close. I remember the studio crowd was absolutely going crazy
1: well after seeing the huge crowd the night before in dothan and uh, now this arm wrestling contest which had not happened before the match in dothan this this they had already had this huge crowd to see just the two of them wrestle now they'd had this arm wrestling contest and they're going to wrestle in miss in pensacola the next night I told Roy Lee to call the people at the Pensacola Municipal Auditorium <laughs> and tell them to add as many seats as they possibly could for this match <laughs> following night.
0: You could feel it building, no doubt. All right, so speaking of that, what happened the next night in Pensacola?
1: Well, Terry Latham won his match against Armand Hussein, and uh, Ricky Fields won the match over Eddie Sullivan, who was managed by Billy Spears. The Gladiator, uh, managed by Billy Spears, got the best of uh, Roy Lee Welch, got another win over Roy. The Samoans, who lived in Pensacola for years and had lived there for many years, they were managed by Billy Spears, obviously. And wow, in this match, they destroyed Herd Calvert and Ron Slinker. It was, wow. I watched those big Samba guns. They They were good. Uh, then David Schultz uh, got disqualified in his match with me. I got my hand raised, but I still I didn't get the belt, uh, and uh, and uh, so Dave still kept his belt at least until the following Wednesday night in Mobile, and he had that match for the Southeastern belt and the loser leave town, and he lost to Ron Slinker, uh, in the loser leave match in Mobile, uh, had to leave the territory. Andre the Giant and the Hulk. Had a massive crowd in the municipal auditorium on their feet, man, and and, and that crowd looked similar to to the farm center, except they, they didn't have all that open expanse that the farm center had with all those people standing standing in room only. So at the end of that match, Andre took over and Spears got in the ring, and the referee had stopped the match when uh, Billy got involved, and uh, both then the Samoans came to the ring and they attacked Andre. Uh, Both of them, same time, uh, Hawk was on him, Spears was on him, Andre was down, they had four guys on him, and I'm standing on the stage, so I go to the ring, and so did uh, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham. They came too, they followed me, and uh, wow, wow, it was crazy in that building, man, Uh, and the four of those guys fought their way back to the dressing room.
0: Man, that, that had to be a night where everybody in Pensacola felt like they were getting their money's worth on their ticket. So how was attendance? It had to be totally packed.
1: Well, I'd anticipated it was going to be big. Obviously, I'd sent Roy to call him and tell him to add the seats, and the auditorium had all those seats added that they could. And, and, I, and I did not, uh, however, anticipate, though, how many people from Mobile which was only 50 miles away, saw this TV, was going to come to Pensacola. So I was told by Roy after the match uh, and uh, the end of the end of the night that the management up front said it was one of the largest crowds ever in that building. 5,600 in that Pensacola Municipal Auditorium, yeah. which is, wow, I didn't think they could put that many people in there, nowhere near it. Wow. And, uh, and Roy said uh, then, you know, people told him up front that, Probably 3,000 or more got turned away. Wow. So, Mobile three nights later, they equaled that Pensacola crowd. They had another sellout. They got this string of sellouts going (laughs) in Expo Hall, and they had another one on the following Wednesday night.
0: Man, you had things totally on fire in the Gulf Coast territory, Ron. And Ox Baker had not even had his first match yet. So, didn't you say something earlier about telling us about your phase two plan for the Hulk? that had something to do with Ox Baker's arrival.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do it kind of quickly here, Dave, because uh, we uh, still have so much in this, in this podcast to get to uh, Lou and I both agreed. And uh, we had talked about it quite a bit, that the Hulk was basically too green. He had not been in the business long enough to be a heel and, uh, and he couldn't properly lead a match because heels always led match and, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to lead a match. You, you don't want to start off as a heel uh, in, in, in your first few matches. It's very difficult uh, to get over. So so we both agreed that uh, he'd make a better baby face, especially if we could find the right heel for him. Mm-hmm. So Spears and the Hulk uh, – period had the Hulk. <laughs> Spears was loaded with talent. He had the Hulk. He had the two huge Samoans. He had the Gladiator. He had Eddie, Eddie Sullivan. And now he had Ox Baker, you know. Yeah. He had one of the best heels crews in professional wrestling history, probably. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, so this phase two, the switching of the Hulk, uh, it, it's going to begin basically in the next stud cast. And in the next two weeks, Uh, Phase three is going to just blow fans' minds. I mean, wow, so much stuff is going to go on with the Hulk in the next few weeks here that uh, fans are just going to be like, (laughs) jeez, pretty amazing stuff.
0: Oh, no doubt. And while you're naming off all this talent, I'm thinking about how many end up in the Hall of Fame. That is awesome. This is getting so good, Stud. All right, so that's a great first half of this Studcast. But when we return after our break, we're going to experience... The bad in southeastern Knoxville will discover more intrigue within the card there and the ugly of that meeting with Bob Roop in your home. Plus, that Dick Slater and Bob Wharton Jr. story you say is really U-G-L-Y ugly, ugly. That is coming up in the second half when this StudCast continues right here. Attention StudCast fans, Ron is going to be making a special appearance at the Wrestling Heroes and Legends event in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, Saturday, May 13th at the Smoky Mountain Convention Center, 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. Other Southeastern stars, Dr. D, David Schultz, and Dr. Tom Pritchard will also be there with Tony Atlas, Greg Valentine, and many more. Ron will have all kinds of souvenirs, 8x10 photos, Southeastern and Ron Fuller t-shirts, and his Smoky Mountain Lion novel, Brutus, for sale and autographed. He'll also be taking cell phone pictures with fans. Don't miss this opportunity to meet the stud. Saturday, May 13th, Smoky Mountain Convention Center, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back in. Episode number 297, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. All right, so we've spent some time discussing the good part of this studcast. I, I shouldn't say it, but I'm looking forward to getting into the bad that's going to be coming now, I think. So what was on the card in Knoxville Friday night, May 11th, 1979, just five days after the Hulk versus Andre match in Pensacola?
1: Well, I was in Dalton, Alabama on that same night that uh, the Knoxville card was March 11th, May 11th. And uh, was wrestling against the Hulk. Uh, one week before uh, before his match, you know, it was a week after his match with Andre. Uh, the Knoxville card had seven matches, which was a should have been a strong card. And uh, and there was something strange basically about every one of those matches, though. And uh, and I've been explaining it every week. And I'm going to explain the, what I saw that was strange in these matches later when we get to. The, talking about the results of that card. So we'll get to that later in the stud cast. The, the first match on that card in, in uh, Knoxville was a Bayliner boat match. The great Malenko was against Terry Gibbs. Uh, my brother Robert was making his first appearance there after seven months. Uh, since He hadn't been there since September 1978. He was wrestling Larry Cheatham, and that was a Bayliner tournament match. Uh Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas were next. They were in a Bayliner against each other in a Bayliner match. And then there was a special event. And finally, Crusher Blackwell was going to be taking on the great Malenko. Uh, Then a karate, legal match. Mr. Fuji, presented by Ron Wright, was going to be battling Dean Ho. Then there was a no time limit, no disqualification match. Both Southeastern and Southeastern TV championships were going to be at stake in this one match. Uh, There was to have to be a winner in this one and uh, that that whoever won that was going to end up with the Southeastern belt and the television trophy. That was Ronnie Garvin against Bob Root. And then the main event was a cage match with Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr.
0: All right. So that's a seven match card. Malenko versus Blackwell, a karate legal match, double title match and a cage so I can't wait to hear your assessment of the strange parts of this card. So what was on the TV that sets this card up to promote everything?
1: Well, remember Dave, well, last week's Knoxville TV show had no video at all from an arena because it had no return matches on the card. Uh, and this card was not much better. It was not much that much different. It only had one return match on this card. That's the two weeks in a row without turn only one return match, and that return match was going to be the first ever, a southeastern match between Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. Uh, that was the Texas Death Match. We had recorded it from the week before, and Slater uh, was going to be coming up in this event against Orton in a cage match, and uh, that was the only return match on that program at all on that show at all. And very strangely, it was only the second time that Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. had ever wrestled against each other, they're going to be in a cage. There was only two possible meaningful places to put the only video from the night before into this TV show. So you either open the show with it or you put it on the personality profile. And Les said Roop had chosen to put the only video in the opening of the show, to put Bob Orton Jr. at the set with Les and Orton Jr. <laughs> He was a great worker, but he was not the best on interviews. Less said afterward, you know, when we talked uh, every Saturday, we always talked after the TVs on Saturdays. He called me and he told me that, uh, you know, after the Knoxville TV, it was very important, you know, that he thought the opening segment of the show was extremely important, and he was very disappointed, uh, you know, in what happened with Orton Jr. being in that segment. Uh, so, you know, uh, Orton, had, he said, kind of fumbled his way through watching the video and he just, you know, and his description of it was very, not very good. And he said uh, Dick Slater was in the first TV match right after Orton got through watching this video. Slater went to the ring for the first match on TV and he said that Orton had done so poor a job that he really didn't leave Slater much to Talk about when he was doing the interview, which immediately after that first match. So then it came time for Bob Roop was in the second TV match, and he was defending his TV trophy against Kevin Sullivan, because obviously, like in uh, just like in Dothan, it was a TV rating period. So you know we had a TV championship match, TV champion Roop against Kevin Sullivan. Roop got to win over Sullivan. Then Roop and Ronnie Garvin were going to be in the exact same match as they had been two weeks earlier in the Coliseum. Garvin, the uh, Southeastern title, was up against Root's TV championship. No disqualification, no time limit. They had to be a winner. Uh, so Rupe did the second interview. Then the personality profile finally brought back Crusher Blackwell. And uh, he had not been seen on TV for weeks hmm. since the Canadian Bumblebee had disappeared. Right. Right. So, you know, the B was not even mentioned during the profile because uh, Les said that Bob Rook told him, I want you to focus only on the upcoming match between Crusher and Malenko on the next card. So, you know, he confined Les a little bit. uh, And Les didn't like that. The personality profile was his deal, man. And he didn't like to be told how how to handle that. But uh, you know, there was a lot going on, obviously, uh, at this point uh, between Roop and everybody in the crew. So it had been five weeks since any kind of match, uh, not just between Blackwell and Malenko, but between Blackwell and Roop or Orton also. Five weeks that he hadn't wrestled any of those three guys. And the last time any combination of the four of them had met was on April 6, 1979. Now, and that was the night the Canadian Bumblebee wrestled against Great Malenko. So I got to thinking, man, why would Root develop a very good angle, like the Crusher Blackwell angle having to become, you know, he had to put the mask on in order to be able to wrestle against these guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, these guys were out there sabotaging him in his career. It was a great angle. And all of a sudden, he just dropped the angle like a bad habit. Boom. And see,
0: yeah, and see, fans are not stupid either. They see that, and they probably ask the same question. So why do you think it happened, Stud? Well, I think it
1: was part of Roop's plan to take over the territory. <laughs> and at this point, he had four guys who I think were already committed to going with him to try to attempt this takeover of southeastern Knoxville territory. I think Roop didn't expect a Blackwell Angle to do nearly as well as it did. And when the angle got too hot and the crowd started growing larger with that angle than he expected, he just completely shut it down on purpose. He didn't want to draw the big crowds. He wanted to kill the business before he ever started trying to compete against it. So his booking job after the angle Judging from the cards that you know we've been uh, that I've been breaking down recently, and every stud studcast showed his intention to me, and it showed that his intention was to destroy southeastern business, uh, and that would maybe convince uh, more of the existing crew to get on board with the mutiny. If the business got really bad, mm-hmm. then the other wrestlers in the crew that maybe uh, he had not talked to about. Would go, Geez, you know? Well, yeah, I, I think maybe y'all might have a chance to do this. Wow!
0: All right, so the discussion of this takeover attempt is pretty fascinating. So much backstabbing going on. So, how about the rest of the TV show?
1: Well, the great Malenko followed Blackwell's personality profile. He got himself a win. Ronnie Garvin ended the TV show as he had almost every week lately with another jump off the top rope in somebody's throat. And, uh, and, then, and then if you look at this TV, there's four wrestlers that are highlighted on this TV, and they are the ones that are going to be the first ones to be a part of this try to, this attempted takeover. Uh, if you look at the TV, Orton Jr. opened up the show sitting at the set with Les, Bob Root, the Malenko, and Ronnie Garvin, they were the guys that got the three wins on the, on the television show. So four of the five wrestlers that's going to leave the company, there's only going to be five of them. Four of the five are going to be leaving the company in the next three weeks, start their own company. They were the only ones on this TV show that got wins except for Dick Slater.
0: All right. So you're right. That's unbelievable. What, what about – Knoxville and the card for May 11th, 1979.
1: Well, I want to take this time I'll kind of, uh, you know, uh, talk about a little bit about what I see that that really stuck out to me that wasn't right. The great Malenko beat Terry Gibbs in the both matches. Uh, Gibbs had lost had lost tournament matches the last 2 weeks in a row. And he's on he's wrestling in the first tournament match against Malenko. Uh, I mean, oh uh, It's like nobody even noticed it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, So Robert beat Larry Cheetah in the next boat match. Uh, Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas wrestled to a draw in their match. And Lucas, I look back, Lucas had lost the week before to Tony Charles, and he's wrestling Kevin Sullivan. And Sullivan had lost the week before that to Crusher Blackwell. So the Bayliner tournament was becoming a joke. I mean, they killed all of the legitimacy of the tournament. So the the Blackwell and Malenko match, it didn't even happen. The great Malenko didn't even come to the ring. He sent Larry Cheatham, who had already lost to Robert, to take his place. And Cheatham got the microphone. He told the crowd that Malenko had hurt his arm, and he was going to take Malenko's place. So why was Malenko, another question I have, is why was Malenko booked in an opening match with uh, you know, uh, and then come back and Russell Blackwell three matches later on the same card. So this to me was the worst part of this card. It was the first time any of the four that were leaving the company didn't even show up for their match. Uh, so Ron Wright, fifth man involved in the mutiny, he's going to be a part of this some mutiny. Uh, he got uh, Mister Fujio win over Dean Ho. Got involved and uh, won the match, basically, for, for uh, his man, Fuji. And then Ronnie Garvin got a win over Bob Root. And what Les told me, man, uh, he described to me after we talked about the TV, he says, Ron, it was one of the worst matches I ever saw Ronnie Garvin in. He goes, I, he said, I couldn't, I don't know what, what's going on, but it was horrible. He said they had both, uh, you know, uh, and they were both going to be gone. Uh, the reason it was a horrible match is they were both going to be gone from <laughs> Southeastern <laughs> and starting their own business in three weeks. Wow. So Dick Slater, on the end of this, beat Bob Orton Jr. in the cage match.
0: All right. So fans had to be really disappointed with a night like this, Ron. Wrestlers, again, in the boat tournament that shouldn't have been there. Garvin and Roop having a bad match. And Malenko not even wrestling in his important match versus Blackwell. So, what was the crowd like?
1: Well, it was it was it, it had been bad. It had been falling off. It was down from the thirty six hundred the week before to thirty four hundred. It was the worst crowd in the Coliseum in four years. And uh, so, before we get to that meeting with Bob Roop at my home in Knoxville uh, on during the same week, uh, let's back up. To, uh, to this cage match on the card here mm-hmm. we just talked about with dick slater beating bob Borton jr right and uh and i want to i got to tell this ugly story man of of what happened between these two wrestlers orlando florida eight years earlier in 1971 uh, I'd gone there in 1970. There was a lot of young stars in that Florida territory in the early 70s, 70, 70, 71, 72. Uh, Bob Wharton Jr. just broke in. Dick Slater just broke in. Uh, Mike Graham had just broke in. Kevin Sullivan was young. He was there. Uh, there was a and my brother uh, uh, Jack Welch, my cousin uh, Roy Lee Welch that territory was full of these young guys. And uh, I remember watching the match. I was on the, th- like the third match on the card. Uh, first match on this card in Orlando, Florida in 1971 was Dick Slater against Bob Orton Jr. Uh, Bob Orton Jr.'s father was a wrestler. Bob Orton Sr., he was in the dressing room. He's on one of the later matches on the card. And uh, I watched the match and I see... That there's there's a little something going on in the ring, man. Between these two, there's a little animosity out there. So, you know, uh, they're about to shoot, right? I could see that they're about to really go after one another. So, uh, so uh, once the match is over, and I think it was a Broadway match, ended in a the draw. They both came back there by the dressing room, right, just outside the dressing room, and I was standing there. And they about got into it, and uh, so so uh, Orton Jr. turned around and he walked into the dressing room, and uh, Slater followed him in, and uh, and then I came in just after Slater, and by the time I came through the door, Orton Jr. turned around and tried to sucker punch Slater. And Slater ducked the sucker punch, and he hit him on the chin. He knocked him cold. I mean, Orton Jr. went down face first on the concrete right in front of his daddy. His daddy's sitting there. And and I'm like, oh, boy, gosh, what the heck is going to happen here? Uh, Slater. Slater. goes over and grabs Orton Jr. by the hair and he drags him into the bathroom, which is part of the dressing room that we we're in. And uh, and so uh, several of us walk over to see what he's going to do. He stood, he took Bob Orton's head and put it in the toilet uh-uh. and he flushed it from
0: over. Oh my god! <laughs>
1: yeah. And then he came back out of the bathroom, mm. and he went right in front of Bob, Bob Orton Sr., Orton's dad. Wow. And he looked down at him. Orton Sr. ducked his head. He didn't want to make eye contact. And he said, do you want some of it? Just wow. like that. And uh, And Sr. just shook his head no. Never looked up, never looked at him, man. So, wow. Wow. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that wasn't the last time I saw Dick Slater shove a head in the toilet.
0: That And that sounds like out of, a scene out of a movie right there. That is a crazy story, stud, stud. So I see why you called it ugly. No wonder Roop didn't have the guts to ask Slater to put Orton Jr. over in the cage <laughs> match. I mean, I don't know how it can be possibly any uglier than that last story, but what happened when Bob Roop came to your house in Knoxville to talk to you about a problem. And, and Bob is the one who asked for the meeting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think I've mentioned this meeting a couple of times before mm-hmm. on other stud Yes. Yes. But, uh, but this time I'm going to go into the details of what that meeting was all about, because we're right at the point where these guys are about to leave the company and they're, and uh, you know, the war, the war for the territory is about to begin, so it's almost exactly forty-four years ago this week that this little thing happened between Rup and uh, So Rup wanted to come and talk to me. He said there was a problem and he wanted to speak to me about it. So he shows up at my door and uh, and he goes right, he gets right to the point. He and he and he says to me, you know the, that uh, him, you know, that uh him and you know that him and Ron Wright, had witnessed uh, my ticket sellers. I had two ladies that sold tickets for me, had been there doing that since I started the company mm-hmm. in the smaller cities. And he said him and Ron Wright had witnessed them stealing money. <sighs> and, and that the same two ladies had been handling the ticket sales. Um, these two ladies been handling my ticket sales for years, and I'd never heard anything like that about them. And uh, they were they were great people, and I and and I, I, I that's I didn't I couldn't believe it. So you know Mac uh, you know, uh, Mac Mac Worry, uh, you know uh, God rest his soul, uh, you know, he died this past year, and uh, he's the guy that loaned me the money to make the down payment yeah. to buy the southeastern territory. Yeah, I trusted Mac implicitly, you know, and a max, one of Mac's jobs was to carry the tickets. Uh, going and coming every night in all these smaller towns to these two trusted employees. He personally recorded the starting numbers on the general admission roll tickets and he took the ringside tickets before every event. At the end of every night, he was the referee and he took the ring and set it up and he refereed. At the end of the night, he met with the two ladies. He verified the tickets the ticket numbers that had been sold and he verified basically the house mm-hmm. and he brought the money back on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. So I told Ruth exactly that. I said, here's the way this is always run. And, uh, you know, I said, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that happened. Uh, I went on later and got, uh, to, uh, got to Mac to actually find a couple of guys to to. Uh, take the little meter when the person comes in and you check the house, you can check your house. Uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't the fact. And it w- and it turned out that it wasn't the fact. Yeah. So Roop though, in this conversation at this point though, he switched his complaint uh-huh. from the small city ticket sellers uh-huh. doing the stealing to the Coliseum. He said, you know, uh, he said the crowds were much bigger in the Coliseum than the payoffs were that the wrestlers were getting. Hmm. And, uh, and I told him that I'd never had control of ticket sales at the Coliseum and neither did any other event that ever came there, that they handled all the ticket sales for every event that ever came there. And I never had a question about their honesty, you know, that I'd witnessed almost all of the Coliseum events over the years. Mm -hmm. I got to be very good at judging the house. Uh, like a lot of wrestlers did, mm-hmm. uh, they could look at it and t- pretty much tell what was there and what the money should be, and I and I never saw a house that I questioned uh, about being short as far as the as what they said the gross was. Right. So uh, so then he quickly jumped to the wrestlers and he says, you know, Ron, the, the the wrestlers are all very unhappy with their payoffs, and he goes, you know, you need to do something about it. So uh, so. You know, at this point, I was, I was, I was getting a little pissed. You know, and I, so I, I kind of turned it around on him, man. And I, I told him, you know that, you know, I told him, I said, Bob, I've noticed that every event lately has been down in attendance, and that's obviously why the wrestlers' payoffs are less, because I said, you know, the wrestlers' pay is very dependent upon the success of their booker, and uh, you know, he could see uh, I was uh, getting upset. Uh. Yeah. And and then he changed the chubic entirely to something completely different. <laughs> and and here's what it and here's where he went then. So upcoming the two up, upcoming, there were two dates in Knoxville for Harley race. Mm-hmm. The following Friday night was going to be a Harley race in town, and the Thursday after that was going to be Harley. And he said, Ron, I want you to wrestle Harley in both those events. Okay, And I said, Bob, that makes absolutely no sense. I I told him, you know, I said, I haven't wrestled in Knoxville in seven weeks. And the last time I wrestled, I was, which was two months ago. I was only on the third match from the top of the card. I asked him, uh, why don't you put Ronnie Garvin in that spot? I mean, he's beating everybody. He deserves it. Right. So, uh, you know, he said, uh, he said, Ron, because Ronnie Garvin's upset with the payoffs, and he wanted to see how you could put asses in the seats. If you could put <laughs> asses in the seats, God. So uh, even though I had a hard time believing that, mm-hmm. you know, that Ronnie ever said that, right? You know, I felt, and I, and I really felt like, gosh, that's a what a what a crazy thing to ask, man. It makes no sense at all. It's a big mistake, but uh, you know. And him asking me to put me on, the he put me in a real spot there. So uh, and and so I got I got upset and uh, and I probably sh- didn't didn't do what I should have done, but I told him book it. I said book me in with him for the world championship on the first show and then the Texas Death Match in the second one. Wow. And uh, and he left my house without another word. It was the last time I ever was in a room alone with him. Wow.
0: All right. So what a tremendous, uh, that's a, I don't know. That's a controversial conversation without saying, but ticket sellers stealing money, wrestlers mad about their payoffs and you being the guy to wrestle Harley two weeks in a row back to back after being in the other territory for almost two months, I wish we could continue on this one, Ron, but I'm sorry, but we don't have time for our learning tree question. But I, I, one thing I do know is Bob Root was blowing smoke up your butt as hard as he could go. God, that is
1: crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a bad thing, man. Wow. You know, uh, but I hate uh, about, the about the learning tree. i sorry about
1: the learning tree. I kind of feel like I, I kind of knew we were going to run long here today, but, uh, wow. You know, have been so much of, of this, uh, and, and we're going to see more of this, I think, in the next few studcasts because there's so many things going on now at this point. Uh, you got this, uh, the deal with the Hulk and, uh, wow, we got some tremendous stuff going on down there. We got all this uh, good intrigue going on here in the north. And, uh, so we may, I don't know how many learning trees we'll get to. And in fact, I, you know, I want to cover some of what we're going to talk about, uh, next week. You know, before we run out of time here, totally out of time, you know, and I just mentioned Harley Race is going to arrive in Southeastern. Mm -hmm. He's going to be in Knoxville on the next, uh, you know, next stud cast. He'll be wrestling in Knoxville, the next stud cast. And uh, two weeks from now, he's going to be in both of the territories in the second stud cast from now. So, obviously, things were reaching a boiling point after this conversation with Roop. Uh, So, three stud casts from now in uh, southeastern Knoxville. In the Knoxville area, it's going to be the last time any of Roop and his troop ever wrestle for southeastern. Wow. Uh, The Gulf Coast Territory, uh, man, it gets its first seven-match card next stud cast. Uh, Three championship matches. And then Dothan, uh, me versus the Hulk. And the winner of that's going to get Harley Race for the NWA World title on the 25th mm. of May. Yeah. Oxbaker's going to make his first appearance around the territory. And the big time heels are just keeping coming down there. Louis Toledo is just really doing a tremendous job. Austin Idol is going to make his first Southeastern appearance ever.
0: Wow. All right. I want to mention Mac McMurray just for a second because. There's a, on Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, you, you did a short, you and I did a short story and you called it the man who saved Southeastern. And it's a really, and, and I know Mac was, man, he, you depended and counted on him so much, but that's on Southeastern Rewind and you can learn more about Mac McMurray and that. And I think there, I think there, we used a picture of him or there's a, there's certainly pictures of him. You can find out. A little more about Mac, but I think a lot of folks would realize, oh, that's the that's the referee that they're that's kind of famous in that area. Everybody sort of knew Mac, right? Oh man, not just that area, but uh, he went he refereed for
1: WWE later on in the state of Florida. Wow, uh, he he gave his life for wrestling. Yeah, uh, he loved it so much that uh, he told me. Uh, if uh, if uh, if I, he would have he would have not made me pay back the money to uh, buy buy my territory with yeah. if uh, if I had let him you know wow. he just wanted to be a part of it he loved wrestling so much and it was such an honest guy and to have Bob Roop tell me anything negative about Mac was not the direction he should have gone.
0: How, what size is your foot?
1: Uh, big enough that uh, he'd had a hard time getting it out of
0: his. Oh area. my God! And and uh, listen, I, I want uh, I do recall that I met, uh, had the opportunity to meet Mac a couple of times. It's like uh, anytime you guys came to town for a reunion, he was uh, he was right there front and center, and he he loved being with you guys, even long after he was retired. So he w- he's definitely one of the great ones. And look for that on Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. The man who saved southeastern i think it's a tremendous story and wow what a fantastic stud cast this has been and with all that happening next time love the stories and the great history that just keeps coming week after week so how do you close this out with a song and dance ron what you got Oh, geez, man, I, I, I knew this was going to be a good one. Or I really feel
1: like I hope fans think it's a good one. Uh, you know, I I've enjoyed it. Uh, I got to vent myself a little bit. That's good, you know. And I uh, I just want to thank everybody uh, that, that listens and has been listening to us and all these great numbers that uh, that we see now. And I appreciate all of them. And and if you like, uh, you know, where we are now in these studcasts uh, for those people that are listening out there. You know, uh, 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 tell somebody else what we do here. I think, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is real wrestling history. And uh, you won't find it any other podcast. You'll not find this anywhere else. So uh, please take care of yourselves out there and others. And uh, may God bless us all.
0: For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production. For Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.